Morning, y'all. So if I'm honest with you this morning, I have to admit that I have a real need to protect my image as a man, a real man, if you know what I'm saying. And the problem is that I'm just not one of those guys who can, like, do anything with my hands, like, I can't fix anything. The truth is, the only reason why there's a toolbox in our home is because my wife brought it into the marriage. I have no idea how to do those things. I, I can't hunt or fish. I'm not particularly athletic. So I don't have any margin for error on this whole manly thing, right? So there are certain things that I just try and avoid because I know that if it doesn't go well, my image is blown. Take, for instance, golf. I hate that game. (laughs) So the one thing that I try to avoid any time that I, in the rare moments, that I actually play that game is the first tee. For those of you who don't play golf, most golf courses are designed so that everybody in the world can watch your first tee off. All of the players who are waiting to tee off, your foursome, everybody in the clubhouse having drinks, they're all just watching and waiting for you to screw up for their own little entertainment value or something. I can't handle that kind of pressure. Every time that I, you know, get to a first tee, I'm not kidding you, my palms sweat. I get a lump in my throat because I know what's going to happen. I can't afford to blow my image. And of course, one of the last times that I played, my worst fears came true. I approached the first tee. And I was feeling pretty good in spite of my nervousness. And so I do everything you're supposed to do, and I did it right. I reached down, I put the little tee into the dirt. I whisked away all of the debris around my ball as if somehow those little blades of cut grass were going to affect my shot. I take the golf club and I do the stretching out thing, you know, making everybody think I'm really fit. I peer down the fairway to try to figure out the direction of the wind and the break of the green, as if somehow, by some miracle, I'm actually going to hit the ball that far. (laughs) I take a few practice swings, and I can feel it coming on. And while it sounds really good, I hear the the you know that sound? I love that. But I'm not even coming close to the spot on the ground that I'm aiming at. I'm getting nervous, and I'm freaking out. But now, after I have felt like I have sufficiently convinced everybody that I know what I'm doing, I approach the ball. I bend over, shake my rear a little bit. (laughs) I close my eyes. (laughs) And I pray. And as I bring my club back to swing, 
something happens in the middle of my swing and I realize I'm in trouble because I realize I'm coming up short. And so as a way to quickly compensate, I reach lower as a way to be able to connect with the ball. But as I do, my club cuts into the earth so deeply (laughs) that this huge piece of ground peels away from the rest of the planet and flies through the air like this incredible UFO soaring. The rest of my foursome are absolutely amazed because nobody has ever seen anything like this in their lives. In spite of it all, I have to tell you, I play it cool. I walk very nonchalantly over to my record-breaking divot. And with two hands, I struggle to pick up this piece of earth and bring it over to this enormous hole that I've created where if I look really closely, I can see China. I replace my divot. I stomp on it like that piece of ground is ever going to come back to life again. And in spite of my huge divot, I feel good about my shot. And so I just kind of look over at the guys and I say, so, did anybody see where my ball went? (laughs) To which, of course, you know, everybody points and looks and starts laughing. The ball had vibrated off the tee and rolled about three inches behind me. They were ruthless. I was in therapy for the next seven years. But, you know, it's funny how we work so hard to protect our image. We all want to be seen as something that we feel like is important to us. You know, some people, they want to be seen as like super mom or super dad. And so they're like this, want everybody to believe that they're this super parent that does things absolutely perfectly with their kids. Some people, they want to give off the perception that they have money. And so they leverage themselves up to the gills to get, you know, a great house and a beautiful car so that everybody believes that they have wealth. Or some people want to give off the image of being a great business person or being politically corrected. I can tell you that even growing up in the church, I can tell you that there are people who really want to come across as like being a super Christian. Like that they know the Bible and that they're incredibly moral and religious people. Whatever it is for you, I think that all of us are guilty of having certain images that we want to portray, that we want other people to believe about who we are. But there are moments when God asks us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do because we think that, well, it makes us look foolish or weak. Another way to say that is that there are those times when our pride and our ego stop us from authentically living for Jesus. Because we want to protect how everyone views us, how everyone perceives us at all costs. And the truth is, it could cost us everything. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this, If any of you want to be my follower, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, then I will be ashamed of that person when I return. Now, for some of us who grew up in the church, we've heard this passage a million times. And most of the time, we interpret this passage to mean that picking up my cross is to create some sacrifice for Jesus in some way. And so we say to ourselves, yes, if there ever came a time when I am sitting at gunpoint and I'm told to reject Jesus or die, I know that I would be able to stand firm in my faith and die for my faith in Jesus if I had to, knowing that the odds of something like this happening in this country are greater than me winning the Powerball. And so we quietly pat ourselves on the back for having such a strong faith. But what if, what if that isn't what Jesus is talking about at all? What if he's actually talking about something that's even more difficult, even more sacrificial than becoming a martyr for your faith? What if he's really saying something like, if anyone wants to follow me, then they must deny themselves and stop living a self-absorbed life. (laughs) Self-absorption, by its very definition, is caring only about oneself and one's own activities and not showing any interest in the rest of the world or anybody in it. Which would mean, then, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, they would have to then put aside their own self-interests And look to the interest of others first. So what if he's really saying that if anyone wants to follow me, they must first drop this image that we're trying to portray and walk humbly after him? Is it even possible? I have to tell you, I don't like where this is headed. Because for me, ever since junior high church camp, I like the idea that taking up my cross is that I'm willing to suffer for Jesus, right? Because that means for me, I can suffer. I can endure how cold this auditorium gets on a Sunday morning and shiver because it's so cold and suffer for Jesus. I can wait in the long line that it takes to turn left onto Route 20 on a Sunday morning. I can suffer with the best of them. But my problem is that there is somebody that I am trying to protect. I have a whole nother person that I try to keep hidden. But the truth is, he shares the same body with me. It's kind of creepy, huh? I call him Big Ego Darren. And we've talked about him before, and in fact, you may have met him before, but (laughs) if you haven't, I'll tell you this. Big Ego Darren is awesomeness. I love that guy. (laughs) So now if I take this scripture to say that taking up my cross daily 
means that big ego Darren that I know and love, the one who knows and loves everything in this world, the Darren that is confident and assertive and has a swagger about him, The Darren that is good at what I do in business and is successful and, quite frankly, the one that everybody wants to be like. In other words, the Darren whose ego is bigger than this building, that Darren, that that Darren would now have to pick up his cross and die so that now I could become the real Darren, the Darren who puts others before himself. The Darren who uses his gifts to serve other people. The Darren who is more concerned about his relationship with Jesus than what other people think about him. That old egotistical Darren should now die, according to this passage, and make room for the new and improved, humble Darren. Dude, that's rough. It's a lot easier for me to say that if I ever end up in communist China and I get caught reading my Bible by some government soldier that I would surely profess my faith in Jesus and sacrifice my life for him than it is to do that. But this day in and day out killing of all the stuff I love about me, that's a heck of a lot more difficult. I'm not sure I can do it. I mean, think about it. That requires... That I wake up every day and I commit my life to following Jesus and I give up control of my life over to him. And let me tell you something, I hate it when I'm not in control. And I hate it when it's not about me. That it's no longer enough for me to just invite Jesus into my life on one day and then ask him to move out on the next because there's something that I have to do. And I can't do it if Jesus is hanging around because sometimes that guy can just cramp your style, you know? (laughs) It's not enough for me to invite Jesus into my church time on Sunday and then ask him to leave on Monday when I have to go back to work. The hard part of the Christian life is the everyday part. It's the being a follower of Jesus all the time part. It's the turning control of my life over to Jesus part. It's the anyone who would follow me has to deny himself and take up his or her cross every single day. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I catch a glimpse of it, you know. I have these shocking moments where I go, wow, did I just actually get it right? Did I just actually deny the awesomely big ego Darren for the Darren who humbly follows Jesus? So let me get this straight. In order for me to save my life, I have to lose it every single day. Not to die physically, but that my life 
would be lost in his life in order that someday there comes a point, and it hasn't happened yet for me, by the way, that when people look at me, instead of seeing big ego Darren, they see the, I love Jesus Darren. I mean, how cool would it be if I could live my life in such a way that I could seamlessly walk in the footsteps of Jesus because I am following following him so closely that I am just a step behind. As many of you know, I'm just a volunteer here, and my paying job is to work for a real estate investment firm. And when I first started, I really tried to keep my two worlds separate. I wanted to protect my image as a great business guy as a great real estate developer. And so I never told anyone about the pastor part of my life. You can imagine how weak that would make me look if I looked religious in the business world, right? But there was one time, several years ago, I was in the middle of a very heated zoning battle, and I was trying to rezone a piece of property to be able to develop a resort. But the community was absolutely against it. They were opposing it, and they were coming together and looking for anything that they could get their hands on as a way to make me look bad. And so one morning, I woke up to this headline in the local newspaper that read, Developer's Religion Comes Into Question. And I said, what poor sap is that about? (laughs) And the article read like this. A resident said she and a few friends spent a lot of time doing internet research on Sloniger. When she found a link to an audio recording of a message the developer gave to his church last December, and she was appalled. It's very sensationalized, she said. His approach to church is brainwashing. This guy's a crazed religious zealot. Sloniger's message, delivered the first Sunday the congregation moved into its new building, outlines the details of how the church acquired the property and paid for the facility through several well-timed real estate transactions. Throughout the message, Sloniger credited God with aligning circumstances in the church's favor and working to bless the congregation's ministry. The resident said she thought other residents whom she described as more conventionally religious would be interested to know that Sloniger actually believed the events in which he was involved were totally driven by God. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Now, you could say a lot of things about me, but religious zealot? Whew. So, now I have a problem, right? With the internet out there, I soon realized there's no hiding my two lives. And at first, to be honest with you, it really bothered me because I felt like it blew my image as a tough negotiator, as a great developer and real estate, uh, real estate tycoon. And so now I was afraid that I was going to become like the Billy Graham of business or something, you know, all nice and compassionate and people would think that they could walk right over me. And I, I wasn't being that I wouldn't be respected like I thought that I should deserve. 
how weak my faith can be at times. But in that moment, I knew I was outed. I was forced to come out of the shadows and say who I really was. Yes, I'm Darren Sloniger, and I'm a pastor. Yes, what I was really owning up to was saying, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I'm a freaking religious zealot. It's a good thing Rudy isn't here this morning. I've been too close. Who knows how that would have come out. So fanatical, in fact, that I actually started a church. Can you believe that? I mean, when you're outed and everybody knows that you, who you are in Jesus, it changes everything. You can't pretend to be something that you're not anymore. And my image was blown from great real estate developer to religious fanatic, just like that. And you know something? It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It's interesting when you look at that phrase after Jesus says, when he says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. When he says that, deny yourself. When you look in the original Greek text, it can be translated to say, to stop acting like yourself. Which is really to say, stop acting like who you're not created to be. Because when Jesus goes on in verse 25, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose your real self? So Jesus implies here that if I am successful at becoming Big ego Darren. And my image is successful in the eyes of the world. I'm good in business and people accept me. At the end of the day, what do I have? I mean, when they put big ego Darren who is successful in this life in the ground, I'm done. I had a good run. People will say nice things about me. But now it's just game over. But if I can manage to kill off that big ego Darren while there's still time. Jesus says now the real you. The Darren I created you to be can now be freed up to live the life that I created you to live, which is way more fulfilling and way more satisfying than any life that you could ever imagine if you continue to try to build up your image just to feed your ego. Suddenly, when that happens, the pressure's off. Because I really don't give a rip what anybody thinks about it anymore. I really don't have to struggle with trying to live between two worlds, straddling the abyss where I'm church Darren on Sundays and all business Darren Monday through Friday. Now I can be freed up to be who I really am. The honestly messed up Darren who has an amazing capacity to screw up his life 
and yet still be saved by the grace of God because I am devoutly, passionately following Jesus. And now, for the first time, I have a peace and contentment that I've never known before. When you really think about it, is it all that tragic if big ego Darren really does die a a permanent death, never to be heard from again? I mean, truth be told, he really wasn't as cool as I made him out to be. He really wasn't as successful as I wanted everybody to believe he was. He really didn't have all of his stuff together. Could it be that the living for Jesus part is really the best part of my life? And that's what I now want people to know about me. Maybe the other part that I thought that I loved and that I wanted everybody else to think about me Maybe that's really just the ugly part that needs to get dead, buried, and out of my way so that I can be freed up to live the life that God wants me to live, which is a way better life. Jesus closes by saying something a little sobering. He says, if you're not willing to deny yourself and get rid of your old self, if you're not willing to make those changes, then that means you're probably ashamed of me. And if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, then I will be ashamed of that person when I return. Speaking of Judgment Day. I have to tell you, it was a beautiful moment that day when my two worlds collided. And there was this blending together of who I am on the job with who I am at home, with who I am at my church and in private with my friends because now everybody knows my little secret. Everybody knows I love Jesus. And I'm going to do the best I can to stay on that narrow path until the very end. And instead of trying to live between two worlds and keeping them as separate as I could, straddling the abyss, now all of a sudden I get to be the same person all the time. And how much more authentic is that? And another little piece of big ego Darren died that day. And I shine just a little bit brighter these days is because of it. I have to tell you this. I love following Jesus with all my heart. But I fail miserably at it. But every day, that I wake up, I want one thing. I seek not to be the person that I created me to be, but I seek to walk fully as the person that God created me to become.
May God give us the wisdom to stop trying to be something that we're not. May he give us the insight to understand what's truly important in this world. And may he give us the strength to kill off another little piece of our old self every day so that we can finally come out of the shadows and be and be who he created us to be. That we could be our real self.